Project management skills are key. It's, it's how you manage your workers and how can you keep a schedule together. So if I have a new contractor, I normally keep like two to three contractor teams, but if someone wants to become on my team, the first thing I'm looking at is what truck is he arriving in and what does his truck look like? <laughs> if his truck is a, a disaster or a mess, that's something you own and you traveling every day. So I think you're gonna keep my place, you know, tight and meaty. No, I can't do it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals where we will teach you how to invest in real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Noel Parnell. Noel is a very successful real estate investor who owns hundreds of doors, but he didn't start that way. He originally started with just one property. Specifically, he started with distressed real estate. And today, you're going to learn what it takes to be incredibly successful like Noel has been in distressed real estate. We get very specific about the tactics and strategies that he uses that have helped him be successful in difficult situations with tough properties that needed to be stripped down to the studs and hiring contractors and everything around it. Well, he had specific strategies that enabled him to be successful, and that's what we're going to dig into today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with, with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, once again, our guest is Noel Parnell. Let's go. Noel, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey starting with distressed real estate investing. But before we get into how you got started, can you tell us about what you're up to today? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Right now, today, I am uh, currently sourcing and underwriting a lot of multifamily deals in the state of Texas and Georgia. They're like mid-level mom and pop deals between 50 and 150 units. And then also we're launching our multifamily uh, masterclass. So that's what I'm currently working on right now. Nice. And what's in your portfolio today, just to put some brackets on that? Oh, right now, a total of units are about 482 units. That's awesome. So I'd love to rewind the clock and get to how you got started with distressed real estate, because I think a lot of folks, when they're getting started as real estate investors, are tempted to go for the cheap stuff. So tell us how you got your start and bought your first property. What what caused you to get into the space? Oh, man, taking it back to 2009, I just finished running in the uh, 2008 Beijing Games as a guy runner, and I took a job as... I was a big scientist in genetics for GSK and RTP. Anybody listening out there, the Align Hitchens building looks like the Beehive. I was one of those folks in that building. And we got called down to, you know, this, our community center. And they were like, hey, basically pack it up. We're shutting the whole thing down. And I was like, what? Wait, what? You know, I, I haven't had lunch yet. You know, <laughs> like, you're just, you're just, just packing it up. And from there, I was, I was a little frightened that someone had the power at a, you know, a shook of a pen or a keyboard and impact several lives there. 
You know, I was young, but there were, you know, moms, dads, fathers, husbands, wives, people with children, and they were probably more greatly impacted than I. And so that just kind of got me thinking like, man, I don't want anyone to have this type of power over me. And so I started looking and Googling, you know, how do, how do the rich become rich? You know, I was kind of made of the world. Like, how do the rich come rich? You know, I'm typing on the keyboards hard, you know, how do the rich come rich? And I found out that 90%, like, I think it was 90% of the time, earned their, you know, their wealth through real estate. And from there, I started to kind of search properties that were, it's a life lesson in this. I started searching properties off of tax and foreclosure sales. And I, I had a life lesson on that about empathy. You know, because the same thing, I was just thinking like, oh, I need a property, need a property, you know, the house hack. And I'm just knocking on doors. Hey, give me your house. You know, like no one wants to lose their home at all. You know, I was such a, an, an ass about that, you know, so I learned that to be really empathetic to that. And so I came up with rules, you know, again, one, let me try to help you. That's my first thing. Let me try to help you. I didn't know how I was going to help them, but that was still, I was, I was a newbie. I don't know. I don't know how the hell I was going to help them, but I said, Hey, let me try to help you. Number two, we partner and try to save your home. Or number three, you save it. And four, we just depart, you know, depart as acquaintances or friends. Cause I always would, you know, invite people out to coffee. You know, at that time it was like a McDonald's coffee. Like Starbucks wasn't really popular like it is now. At least I don't remember it being popular like that in 2009 or 10 um, in my area. But I would ask them like, hey, let's, let's get some coffee. I did that for almost, man. 36 months and didn't get nothing. Wow. Nothing, you know, and this is the power of the internet. Right now, people can look up and everything and so many people, courses, but I was just door to door every Saturday and Sunday in the neighborhood and I'm just knocking on door to door. And then finally, I got a break. And this break was with, his name is Ed Dixon. And he had a property that was in a, it was a crappy area, and, but he had a long-term tenant. She was there for about 18 years, and he was saying, he was unluing, and he was like, I'm ready to retire. Do you want this property here? At that time, he sold it to me for, it was like $30,000. And he was like, well, seller finance it. And I was like, what the hell is seller financing? And he acted as the bank, and he gave me a, like a 7% rate. I did refi it. At that time, I didn't even know about cash on refi. That's, I didn't even know any clue. I just got a regular, just went to a credit union and got a loan, a straight loan, and that's it. So I had a ton of equity in there. But the key to this one was that, it was funny, the house was so big and the lady was there. I was like, hey, I'm the new, I'm the new owner, landlord. I'm moving into the top floor. And she was like, wait, what? I'm just like, you know, I'm moving into the top floor. It's, you know, it's like, I don't want to lose you as a tenant. You know, you're paying, you're paying good money. She's actually on a, um, yeah, I guess the other way now is kind of a, not legal, but it was a housing voucher. So I probably shouldn't have been staying there. But I stayed on that, I stayed on that floor there with her and I was really house hacking. So that was kind of one of my first starts in the stress properties. And what, what that parlayed into is that I ended up, you know, getting finance, I was always with my W-2, getting finance for a house and it was a fixer-upper. And the contractor burnt me so bad on this, I learned how to do construction. You know, I'm talking about if I turned on the base and the light, it wouldn't come on, but the third floor light would come on. <laughs> I had duct work 
that like in bits, you know, going to the bathroom and like there was no heat or AC going to it. And I had the, uh, the HVAC tech come and look. They were like, the duct work's not connected. It was there, but it wasn't connected at all. And so the towel and everything was down and it was, just, it was a disaster. He convinced me that there was a, uh, he put a used use heater in there and kind of convinced me like, oh no, there's a, it's, it's wrapped like that because I took it out of the left side one and this is the right side one. I was, just, I was very foolish and naive. You know, this is back in 2013 now. And from that, I started doing the rehabs myself. And that was kind of YouTubing. I still laugh at this to this day. I would go to Barnes and Nobles. I'm still kind of frugal, but not like this frugal any longer. And instead of buying the books, I would bookmark them and I would just come there and take notes, bookmark them and place them back. And I was, <laughs> I'll ask this now. You know, real estate wasn't as sexy as it was back then because at this, you know, 2009 with the crash, you know, no, everybody was fleeing. No one was really doing any business around that time, you know, so it wasn't the sexy as it is now. And so I was like, oh, I'll just go back and forth. And I literally went to Barnes and Nobles learning about construction for dummies, you know, real estate for dummies. And I'm just taking notes in this, this pad and go home after writing the notes and just like reread them and trying to apply them. And after I fixed the home, I was like, man, I can, I can do this. I can do this again. And so I started parlaying, you know, the, the auctions and I'm an avid runner and I start running in neighborhoods. I start understanding like, oh, their grass isn't cut. That means they're, they're, they're gone or, oh man, that house has fallen apart. Maybe they're just not really appreciating or somebody went away. And so that's how I kind of got into the distressed properties. It was not for the faint of the heart. I was doing things from down to the studs. You know, I had to rip everything out to the studs. The only benefit I would say that I got from doing the stress properties is that I got to see what's behind the curtain. As I'm doing the bigger properties now, when I get prices for things, I'm just like, no way. I know what it, how much it costs to lay floors. I know what it costs to put sheetrock. You know, I'm not even doing that much extensive things, laying sheetrock and things that in nature, but I know what, you know, coiler system, the coil systems or a boiler calls and how much it, and, you know, how to install them. Like I know the prices, so you're not getting over me on these things. And that really benefited me that, you know, going in here, I know what good things look like now. Well, that is definitely a big advantage. So how many distressed properties did you buy or work on or do till you decided to make a pivot and scale? So, so basically almost out of my 136, that's 136 doors, by the way, but I would say about 95% of them were all distressed. I, I gutted all of them and then built them back up. I, you know, I was buying properties for you know, 20,000. That's why I was getting the best equity yet. You know, and it, then when the rates turned and we were in the golden age of rates at like 2.3, which I don't want to get on that topic. I feel like that was an anomaly. People are always talking about how high the rates were. But when I look at the, the course of interest rates, I think we were just in a, an anomaly. And while we're in the position we're in right now, we just need to get kind of used to it. But, but yeah, almost 90, 95% of them. And then I pivot because I wanted to increase my net worth. And the caveat on this is that I, uh, I have a 15 month old child right now. Nice. And so for him, Maybe just we can say this for another topic. I'll just give you the cliff note to this is that I buy distressed properties for him as a partner and I fix them up. His rental income goes to a custodian account from Mass Mutual. That Mass Mutual invests it into the SP500 index fund. 
So he has to compound interest for that. So my son has 11 units right now. So I'll do that. And my goal is that I'm not doing the 529 form. I'm just looking to buy three to four distressed properties a year. So by the time he's 18, they'll be free and clear. He can save, he can sell one or two of them or take equity out of them because he has it, pay for college if he wants, buy another property or whatever city he wants. Hopefully he goes to LSU or, or Southern University, one or the other. But in Louisiana, that, that's the plan of that one. I still kind of dim and dab on that, but that's only for him. Nice. That's awesome. He'll, he will be very well set up. So I think a lot of people who start with distressed properties will do one, two, maybe three, but they get very tired of ripping things down to the studs and dealing with contractors and all of the headaches that come along with it. But you've been successful in that space, haven't fully stepped away from it. You're doing those deals for your son now. So what would you say has made you successful with distressed properties, at least compared to others who give up on it or don't see success? My education. I, I use, you know, people always say like, you have a you know a biology degree and a, a master's of biochemical engineering. I also have a PMP. I use all of that right now, still in the business. The reason I, I say that is that doing the chemical engineering or biology allowed me to you problems and issues in a different way and conceptualize it. So you're looking for different ways to solve something. And so those are some, of the, I don't want to get too deep into it, but those are some of the things that I look to how to keep my contractors on track and on schedule. So normally I'm trying to turn over a distressed building, you know, once you get your permits, you know, if it's a full gut with permits, I can do it maybe three to four months. I can get it, you know, fully, fully done. And that's kind of making sure everyone is aligned. And I did have my frustrations with contractors. You heard me talking about my first story. And then I had, you know, post, post my first property that I rehab. But even after that, and I realized, you know, I kept, you know, asked the contractors, like, why are you doing this? And I realized it wasn't them. It was me. Like, I continue to hire them. They're always, they're being themselves. It's you. It's me. So it's me being accountable and saying, you know what? They're being themselves already. They've already showed me, like, that's what they do. You know, that's how they linger. Or, you know, this is how they, you know, flounder away. No, you need to hire better and bring better people on the team that, you know, that you want to build and grow with. So I love that mentality when, so to try to boil that down if I can and make sure I understand, you're saying that if I have people on my team who consistently underperform, it's on me. It's my fault. I'm hiring the wrong people. I and, make a and coaching and teaching. Like, so it's the methodologies that you place in there because they're only going to perform, you know, and it's understanding of telling them be very granular, you know, stop leaving things open-ended. You know, you have to actually tell everybody, especially if there's a language barrier, you know, I would bring, I had a translator for some of my Ecuadorians, you know, things of that nature. I had West Indian people working in you know about West Indian folks that are maybe from like Jamaica or Bahamas, they're very laid back. So everything is slow motion. They're good workers, slow motion, you know? And, and then on the other side, my Ecuadorians that I had, they were just like fast, fast, fast. But sometimes, you know, they would just they would make little mistakes. So it's like, all right, let me coach you guys up correctly. This is what I want to see by the end of the week. This is exactly, this is exactly how I want something cut. And then I start hiring a, a project manager. I would coach them and like, hey, this is what you need to do. And then they would go out there. And then Amex, I, I don't know, maybe that's a, a shameless play. I love Amex because I can make several different <laughs> cards and to say, hey, 
I can just look at the, you know, I, I do a project meeting with my members Sunday night. I know it's crazy. Sunday night, 10 p.m. It sets the tone. I'm always looking at the invoices for the week on Saturday, but I'm like, hey, what do we have going on this week? What are we, what are we doing? And that's the meeting that we have. It's only about 30 minutes. It's a, it's a small muster meeting just so that everybody's on the right accord that, hey, if you have to be at Home Depot or another builder store, you're there, already there. They're already, they're going to be there, you know, and also understanding, I'm big on that, understanding the culture of your workers. And that means, do they have wife and children? What do they have going on? You know, maybe that one of the workers has to drop off his kid to school so he can't be on site. That's why he's late because you didn't ask him. You're asking him repeatedly. Why are you always late? But you never asked him why he's late. You know, so, you know, it's, it's different workarounds of, you know, being able to communicate and lead effectively. And that's something I think a lot of people, they take for granted. They say they know how to lead or, you know, but they really don't. They, know, they don't know how to lead, but they know how to be demanding, demanding and commanding, right. I think. So I'm glad you brought up things that you do on the weekends and activities, because for those who are just listening to the audio, it's clear just looking at you that you still you haven't given up time to take care of yourself. Right. And I think a lot of people who are successful in real estate let their self-care kind of go by the wayside, stop working out right now. You have me feeling like I need to go do some more curls here. So how do you budget your time between business, family, fitness, and everything around that, just making sure that you can get everything done and taken care of? Man, that is, it's ever evolving. I look at it now, it's, I think it's a little bit interesting now because I have a son, uh, a very young son. And so I always look like, you know, I had a, I always think like you may have, you know, 15 to 16 summers with, uh, with the child before they start, you know, going off with their friends or they're off to college and doing their own thing. So I always had this phrase, uh, not mine, but is be careful who you become while in pursuit of what you want. And I'm always thinking about that. You know, I know I'm trying to do that for all of these things for him, but if I'm neglecting them and I'm not present with him or Hey, I'm with them, but I'm on my phone looking at emails. So I have a rule that, you know, at 5 p.m., it's about 4.30-ish, I shut stuff down. It's all about family. I pick it back up at about 10 p.m. And that's about maybe 10 to 10, 11, 11 p.m. on the weekdays. And that's just to catch up on any emails. I'm not really doing any work. I just want to make sure I'm making my list for the next day. You know, emails, okay, or anything urgent, I need to address that first thing in the morning while I kind of shut it down. I'm up at 4.30 in the morning and I go to work out. I'm up, I'm up working out around 5.15, 5.30. That's, that's like my time. So the 4.30 to 5.30, I'm normally listening to, most likely it's always Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins. I like David Goggins too, man. David Goggins is like one of my favorites. It's just uh, how David Goggins resonates with me, just kind of how I was raised. It wasn't, it wasn't a soft household. You know, my mom is not soft like that. My father isn't easy. My, my father is an army ranger, former army ranger. You know, it's, you know, he resonates with me and like all my coaches, like that gets me going. I'm not a kind of a soft-spoken person like, oh, you know, I like that in your face day. Then I'm working out from 5.30 to 6.30 and then I'm starting my day around 7.30. I'll go ahead and answer a few emails. About 8.30, I'm making my kid breakfast. And then I get back to it around 9.15 and I, I kind of master my schedule and try to be effective as possible. I don't do really long, I actually I try to say no meetings 
past literally 45 minutes tops. Like make them like 30. Because I think, you know, we have to be, a, it's a project management. I want a, a itinerary. What are we talking about? What are the points? And guess what? What do we want to get out of this meeting? You know, if you can't come with me with that, then we don't need to meet, you know, because that means we're just kind of spinning our wheels and then we wasted our time. So I want to meet with intent. So let me know, what do we want to get out of this meeting? You know, those subject matters. So I'm prepared and my team members can be prepared. I even have time in there to kind of like call my mom. People get that bad. Like you have an itinerary in there or like text your mom or call your mom. That's all she wants. She just wants to be like, you know, 30 seconds. Mom, I love you. I'm thinking about you here. Because you ever, you know, get caught up on that and we just forget, like, you know, she just wants to feel, you know, love. She carried me around for nine months. So I, I place that in there, you know, just like, hey, mom, I love you. But I still try to just kind of be a master of the schedule. Some days are better than others. But for the most part, I like to kind of really be a master of the schedule. Nice, nice. So before we move on to the three questions I ask uh, every guest at the end of the show, are there ever days where that alarm goes off at 4.30 and you're like, man, I don't want to do it today? And if that happens, what do you do? This is, this is a, uh, I, well, one, I love that my gym, it's also the people you surround yourself. My gym actually charges you if you don't show up for their classes. <laughs> one, I don't want to get the penalty. I don't like to waste any money. I, I like, all right, I have that there. But there are days that are harder than, than some. You know, I have, like I said, I have a 15 month old. So there's nights where he's just, you know, or he's teething, you know, his mother has had him all day because he's not, he's not in daycare, he's, he's home with his mom. She's like, I'm done here, you know. You, you deal with this and understanding like, you know, if they don't moms, that's a big responsibility, you know. It, it's not for the fate of a heart to deal with it. Now he's running around and stuff and we have a puppy. I wanted to kind of throw an extra mix in there. So just <laughs> you have a toddler, oh, she's like, tired of me when I get back, you know? <laughs> so the days like that, I think you just have to kind of dig deep a little bit. It, it sounds a little cliche, but I'm always looking at, I, I keep it. You want to think it's really like, you, you don't keep this stuff. I keep these things on my phone and I also keep it on my bathroom mirrors. It's just like, a, it's a word that I have on there that means to me, it's, it's one is 60,000 and means something in love. The love represents my son and I'm just like, remember like come on get up and do it right there you know i know what i like come on let's go you know and that's how you have to make yourself do it you know and then once you get to that routine of just doing it some days are better than others but i haven't i haven't missed a day right now i've always gotten up right now currently like literally for the last three years like five if, I, if it's set to go i'm up and i'm i'm out i love it i love it right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor all right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, let's get it. Great. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done? I'm going to go with the latest one right now. I picked up a 20 units in Houston for under $5,000. Increased the occupancy. It appraised in June for 3.2 in Houston right now. So right now, I think that's the best deal I've done to date right now. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So we had the best. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst. What is the worst deal you've ever done? Oh, my God. Uh, so it's a toss up. And both are both are flips that I, I didn't want to do. So I, I'll go the latest. I had a flip that a friend wanted me to do with the, the house sat on the market right now. It was a mid-level flip. We put it on the market for 350 It sat 
we overpaid for it. She negotiated it. We overpaid for it. That was my fault. She, she was like, we should just refi it. And I was like, no, I don't want to refi it. I don't want to hold a single family home as a rental. No refi. Like, we'll just get another realtor. It sat some more. Then the house got robbed. Not once, but twice. I got home alone. Police don't come for nonviolent crimes in Philadelphia. And literally, when I say I got home alone, I got home alone. They took all the staging. They took the paintings off the wall. They took the comforter sets. They took the drinks out of the refrigerator and the refrigerator for the open house. They left nothing. That means, I, I said, and they came back twice. So they had enough time to bring a U-Haul up there. The neighbors said they called the police and the police were like, hey, you know, we have other crime to do. You should put ear tags in your appliance. That was their advice. Put ear tags, <laughs> put Apple ear tags in my appliances so I can track them. Can you believe that? Put Apple ear tags in your appliances to track them. And this house is still sitting on this market today. I, I did rent it now, but you know, it's a, it's an overly rehabbed priced house right now. You know, it is, the rent is covering the, the mortgage payment because I refied it, but uh, I can't wait to get this thorn away from me. So that is the worst deal. And what I learned from that is that I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do the flip and I should have just accepted to say no and not given in because they were our friends. You know, I always tell people learn to say no and you know, it's all right to say no. You know, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I'm like, every time I go against my gut, something happens like this, where now I'm just in this little cycle waiting to get this house off my books right now. Ouch. Wow. Well, that leads us to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Technically, it's not a lesson. I guess it's too far. One is never accept the no from someone that doesn't have the power to tell you yes. You know, so never, never do that. But I also wanted to thank, uh, I think the biggest business lesson I had was their name, Karn Fisher and Michael Yalowitz. They were my first private lenders and single-handedly, they changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life. And when I made, I always tell them this, hands down, they've given me the best business advice as far as lending to a kid that didn't have any experience, and I mean, giving me complete financing and believing in me to show me how to set up a trust for my son, you know, give him the right insurance, you know, learning debt and how to, and how to navigate it. They always are dropping gems and we're still great friends to this day. I think I, I love them a lot. Like they, they're, they're, that's by the best business decision I ever had was meeting them. Nice. I love that. And I appreciate you shouting them out. Where can people learn more about you? You can come out to uh, crowncapitalcorp.com. You can learn. We have, I have a bunch of free stuff there. If you're into the single family or you're trying to transition, I have different analyzers on like how to buy a property you know, properly, how to understand what you're going to net, not gross. That's always a big misconception. I have a lot of delicious, a lot of brokers throughout the United States and banks. So I'm always willing to freely give that out to folks anytime they need it. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And furthermore, if you're having fun with us, don't forget to subscribe. Catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.